well, the Christmas movies are here. We know that Christmas is uh, really in full swing when the Christmas movies are bombarding us on television. Now, let me give you a little key for Christmas music, uh, music for Christmas movies. Uh, basically, they go like this. Uh, boy meets girl. Girl doesn't care much for the boy. Um, they are thrown together under certain circumstances. Pretty soon, the girl's beginning to think that she might like the boy, and the boy's thinking she might like the girl. And then just about that time, something dramatic happens to throw a wrench in the whole thing. And then they get over that. They realize they love each other. They kiss, and the movie's over. So you don't have to watch another Christmas movie. That's the whole plot right there. And um, so I'm just trying to, trying to help you. I know you're scrunched for time this time of year. Well, this is a time for singing. It's a time for joy. Um, the carol that the handbells played was, What Child Is This? It's interesting when you go back and look at the history of some of our Christmas carols. This carol was written in 1865 in England by William Chatterton Dix. That year, William suffered a near-fatal sickness, and so this bout with death really changed his life. He experienced this, what he called a spiritual awakening. It's sad, isn't it? But sometimes that's what happens when sometimes we begin to think about eternal things when our health begins to wane. Well, he became an avid reader of Scripture. Uh, he began to pen hymns and carols. He set the lyrics uh, of this carol to a popular English folk song called Green Sleeves. The carol is really quite biblical. It urges people to accept Christ. Uh, the word laud, L-U-D, in the carol means to praise. And on one of the ways that we praise the Lord Jesus is through songs. Now, we do that all the time, and we have some particular special songs that we sing or play here at Christmas. So we see how Mary went to visit her relative Elizabeth, because remember, we said last week, who's going to understand Mary with this conception miracle? Well, Elizabeth would, because her and her husband, Zacharias, were past the age of childbearing, and uh, the angel told them that they would have a son. And so they have much in common. And so Mary goes to Elizabeth, and I'm sure she got great comfort in meeting with her relative. Now, God must have revealed this virgin conception to Elizabeth because as soon as Mary comes and Elizabeth sees her, we read the greeting, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. You will notice the babe leaped in the womb. That's John the Baptist which is another evidence and indication that life begins at conception, and it's not just a blab of, or a, a blog of, of chemicals and tissue. It's an actual person with an eternal soul. And so Mary, when Elizabeth told this to her, she broke into praise. She is beginning to realize what's happening in her womb, and she's beginning to try to comprehend the magnitude of what is happening to her. Now, we call this, and if you have a certain Bible, it might say Mary's Song as a kind of a subtitle here. Many refer to this as Mary's Song. In fact, I titled the message Mary's Song of Praise. But actually, the biblical text tells us that Mary didn't sing. It says in verse 46, Mary said, 
And so the word literally means to speak. Now, why do we call it Mary's song? Well, this particular passage of scripture became a canticle or a hymn or a chant that is typically uh, expressed or made up of biblical text. This has been labeled as the Magnificat from the Latin word that translates exalted in verse 46. So I doubt that Mary actually sang it. Maybe she sang in her heart. But the Bible says this is what she said. This was the expression of her heart. Her praise is filled with allusions and quotations from the Old Testament. Mary knew her Bible. Now, this is a challenge to us because I have a Bible here on the, on the platforms. Many of you brought a Bible. Some of you more challenged people brought something electrical. I'm just kidding. Um, you brought a Bible in some form or another. We put the Bible verses up on the screen. Uh, they didn't have a personal Bible they could take home with them back then. The Bibles were on scrolls and in the synagogue. And so either through the teaching of her parents or through uh, times that she was able to memorize Scripture, Mary has an incredible uh, grip on the Old Testament Scriptures, and it comes through. You know, Mary's a model believer. She really shows us and teaches us some things about biblical worship. Now, often we try to surmise, and there's a danger at Christmas time. We have to be careful um, about adding to Scripture. So often you will hear me say, most likely, we suspect, because I try to differentiate between what the Bible actually says and what we kind of try to build the story around. And we can kind of get way off base if we're, we're not careful and led by the Holy Spirit. But... If you're a thinking person at all, you have to think, what, what is going through Mary's heart and soul and mind at this point? What, what is Mary thinking in her heart of hearts? How do you know what's in someone's heart? How do you know what's truly on their heart? Well, Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know what's in a person's heart, listen, I mean listen, to what they say. Too many of us, myself included, we'd rather talk than listen. And so if you want to know what's on a person's heart, you listen to them. And eventually, what's in their heart will come up out of their mouth. So we don't really have to speculate a whole lot. What was in Mary's heart? This is a wonderful revelation from Mary herself of what was in her heart at this moment. And she must have given this to Luke. We saw that Luke wrote for my witnesses. And as Luke sat down with Mary, she probably through the Holy Spirit was enabled to quote back to him exactly what she said when she met Elizabeth. Now, there's only one thing the disciples ask Jesus to teach them. I'm sure he taught them many things. But the only thing recorded in the Gospels that he asked them to teach was teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. So that's where we get the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. It's a prayer to be prayed, not just a prayer to be wrote prayed, but to be prayed with your heart. But it's also a model prayer. It's an example of prayer. So Jesus, when, when he answers their question, teach us to pray, what does he say? Our Father who art in heaven, that prayer should begin with a focus 
on the Lord. Too many times we rush into God's presence, myself included, and we want to bring our needs before the Lord, and our prayers are often so self-focused. Mary's prayer here is focused on her Savior. Mary's subject is her Savior. Look at verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. See, Mary had a personal relationship with the God of the universe. See, Mary received God's word. Mary believed God's word. And Mary submitted to God's word. And the way she acted showed us the truth of those statements. What a challenge for us to hear the word of God, to receive the word of God, not just to hear it, but to internalize it, to obey it, to believe it, and submit to the God of the word. So Mary believed with her whole heart that what the angel had told her would indeed come to pass. You see, if you know your Bible, many of you already know this, but Mary's praise echoes the praise of Hannah back in 1 Samuel. Hannah, who was barren for many years, pleaded with the Lord to give her a son, and God answered that prayer and gave her Samuel, and later on gave her other children. So 1 Samuel 2.1, Hannah prays, My heart rejoices in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. You see, only sinners need a Savior. If you don't believe you're a sinner, I really don't know why you'd celebrate Christmas, unless it's just a holiday. Some people get very offended when you tell them you are a sinner. We're all sinners. None righteous, no, not one. We are all totally depraved. Doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be, but it means that we are completely sinful. That's why going to church and going through certain religious things and, you know, trying to be a good person, and that's not going to get you to heaven. That can never get us in right relationship with a holy God. So Mary had come to understand that the son she was bearing in her womb would actually become her savior. She was a young woman of faith, a saved individual. What did we say last Sunday if you were here about Mary? She's probably 13, 14, 15 years of age, and she has this amazing grasp of the Old Testament. It's really amazing. See, the only person that can truly worship God is one who has accepted Christ as their Savior. Only a saved person can truly worship God. If you come in here and you like the music and you like the fellowship and you meet some friends, but you're not really connecting with the preaching, you're not, you're not experiencing some kind of, I'm not talking about some emotional uh, kind of thing, but it's, it's not really going down into your heart when you praise the Lord with these songs, I would ask you, to make sure that you do know the Lord. Now, we've been repeatedly saying this, but it bears repeating. The Bible does not support the belief that Mary should be an object of worship. There's no support for that whatsoever. It's an interesting uh, account in the Gospel of Luke where a woman tries to exalt Mary in the presence of the Lord Jesus. It says, It happened as he spoke these things, a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He was not being disrespectful to his mother. 
he, he was telling those who were listening not to exalt his mother. They were to exalt their Savior. Now, Mary was indeed blessed, but all believers are blessed. That's what Jesus says here. You know, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We can be equally blessed as Mary was blessed. Now, as Mary begins this praise that pours out of her heart, and I believe by the Holy Spirit, she focused upon three figurative expressions in describing her Savior, her God. You know, God is such a wonderful God. Um, you know, God is a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. That's why Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But here in the Old Testament, God presents himself in human terms, um, human expressions. And he does that. He condescends to our level so that we can have a measure of understanding of the God that we worship. And so Mary, first of all, says this, verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She focuses, first of all, on the eyes of the Lord, on the eyes of the Lord. The word regarded means to gaze, to look upon. She's saying, you know, God, my Savior, has gazed upon me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lowly maidservant. I'm just a simple Israelite maiden girl. And yet, the God of all eternity has intently gazed upon me. Now, she gets this from the Old Testament, Psalm 34, 8, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. She was a young Israelite maiden living in a little place called Nazareth, and yet God chose her to bear his son, the Lord Jesus. So as we move through her praise, her knowledge of the Old Testament continually shines through. Psalm 136, 23 who remembered us in our lowly state, for his mercy endures forever. Mary praised God, my Savior. You see, Mary was a sinner, just like us. And when Mary said in verse 48, Behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, that's the only even hint of where Mary focuses on herself. She just recognizes because of the circumstances that she's the chosen vessel to bring Jesus into the world, that this is going to impact the world for generations because Mary understood she was a sinner to whom God extended great mercy and to whom God now extended great honor. You know, it's interesting. I've said this before. The early church never put Mary on a pedestal. In fact, it wasn't until the 4th century that people began to venerate Mary. But that is not a biblical concept. Last time we see Mary in the Bible, she's in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, and she is just assembled with the congregation of Jerusalem. She's a member of the church. Mary, the mother of the Lord, not being pointed out in any special way, not holding some kind of special office, not interceding for people. Mary's a faithful church member. And after that, the scripture goes silent as to the future of Mary. And I'm sure that was by biblical and divine intent. You see, Mary is amazed that Almighty God has seen her. 
Here she is, this young virgin, Israelite girl, and the God of the universe has looked intently upon her, and it just amazes her. Verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Never anywhere in the Bible does it say Mary's holy or sinless. No, Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior, because Mary needed a Savior just like we need a Savior. Now, again, this comes right out of the Old Testament. Psalm 126.3, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. You ever wonder if God even knows what you're about, what's going on in your life? Do you ever wonder if God really takes note? Well, sometimes we can know things in our head, but we don't feel that emotionally. I suspect some of you young people here today feel overlooked. You sort of wonder, does anybody see me? You know, I'm young, and does, does God even know who I am? Does he know what I'm going through? Well, he absolutely does. And take Mary for your example. She's a teenage girl. And God knows all about her. He cares. You might wonder, does God care? Does he have a purpose for my life? He does. What he wants from us is to look to him by faith. Call upon his name. Commit your life to him. Seek his will. Mary is so amazed that the God who is holy would condescend to enter the womb of a sinner. Think about that. Too often at Christmas, we just pass over the story. It's so, we know it so well. We've heard it so many times. But Mary was just amazed at this whole thing. Psalm 111.9, holy and awesome is his name. Now, the good news is that you and I can have an experience not exactly like Mary's, but Similar, you recognize that the holy God of the universe is still coming to dwell within sinners? What happens when you trust Christ as your personal Savior? You are baptized by the Holy Spirit. You are sealed by the Spirit. You are filled by the Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity indwells you. The Bible says our, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to the Corinthians, don't you realize that, that God is in you? The Holy Spirit indwells you? That should amaze us as much as it amazed Mary, that the Holy God would indwell me, who am a sinner. Even after I'm stay, saved, I still struggle with sin. What an amazing concept Isaiah 57, 15 in the English Standard Version. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. The one who is high and lifted up, who is holy and inhabits eternity, inhabits you if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. It's one of the great evidences that we are truly saved. 
If you don't have a sense of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you better make sure you truly know the Lord. Paul kinds of shortens the whole thing. Christ in you, the hope of glory, he says in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Mary knows something, and she expresses it here. God exalts the humble. He exalts the humble. Do you notice how Mary has an exalted view of God and a humble view of herself? Do you know why some people will never go to heaven? Because they have such an exalted view of themselves, then they don't have a humble view, and they have a very low view of Jesus. Do you have a high view of God, of Jesus? Look at verse 50. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. To fear the Lord is to revere him, to treat him with the utmost respect, to be in awe of him. It's not to be afraid of him, though there is a sense in which that's true in the proper understanding, but if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid of him. But to fear the Lord, to hold him in awe. Erwin Lutzer said, God loves to bless the lowly, He loves to bless those who are marginalized, those who do not even feel worthy of a blessing. Now, Mary in verse 50 talks about his mercy. That's that that great Old Testament word, hesed, God's loyal love based on his promises. 250 times or more it's found in the Old Testament. And when you bring it over into the New Testament, the Greek word expresses God's outward manifestation of pity and compassion. So you have this amazing connection, this amazing joining of the mercy of God and the fear of God in this beautiful balance, this beautiful tapestry of who God is and how he treats us. Psalm 103:17 The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. That's why mercy can that's why Mary connected mercy to the fear of the Lord because she got that from the Old Testament. She got that from her knowledge of the God that she served. At some point in Mary's young life, she recognized she had violated the law of God and she went to God with a penitent heart. And she received mercy. You know, that's the gospel. If, if you understand that you're a sinner, you recognize it's not your religion, it's not your good works, it's not anything that you and I can do. It's all based on what Christ has done for us. It's the gift, the gift of eternal life. And you come with a penitent heart. You tell God you are sorry for your sin. You thank God that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. You believe he's the son of God, that he died, was buried, and rose again. And the Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Have you done that? Have you trusted him? Well, she talks about the eyes of the Lord. Now she talks about the arm of the Lord. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Now, if you went back to the first century and you wanted to find the world changers, I mean, who are the shakers and movers of the first century world? Well, you'd probably go to Rome. You'd go to the Caesars who were held up by the mighty Roman legions. Or you might go to Athens 
the great intellects of the day, <laughs> he would never go to Nazareth. No one would have ever expected to go to Nazareth. That in Nazareth was a young maiden girl who was going to, in her womb, bear God's very son, who is going to come in, who rules all the nations, who is literally going to shake the earth one day, who sets up nations and pulls down nations. They would have never thought, hey, let's go to Nazareth. That's how God works. And I would submit to you that God is still working like that today. God is often found in places that we would least expect him to be. James says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God not only exalts the humble, but he humbles the proud. Boy, that's a lesson the church needs to hear. And I think we're going to really need to hear it in the years ahead if the Lord tarries. Look at verse 52. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. Mary is sort of summarizing her knowledge of the Old Testament and God's revelation of himself all through Scripture. And think about the mighty ones that God dethroned. Well, let's start with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the ruler of the known world, mighty Pharaoh, drowned in the Red Sea. God knocked him right off his throne. Think about mighty, mighty Nebuchadnezzar. He's walking above his palace one day, and he's saying, isn't this the great, great Babylon that I have built and all of these palaces and the great hanging gardens of Babylon? And the Lord sends a message, and next thing you know, great Nebuchadnezzar is in the backyard eating grass, crawling around like an animal. I heard... I learned a new word as I end my reading. It's the word Sovietized. There are many who believe we're being Sovietized as a nation. Many of those who believe that are people that grew up under communist Russia. And they know their history. And they say many of the things that were happening before Russia fell to communism and the communists continued to do are the very things that we see the seeds of very clearly in America. And these people keep calling out a warning. Well, you know what? I sleep real good at night. Oh, I'm concerned about our nation. I'm concerned about what I see. I can only watch the news so long. It's just like, ugh, enough. Because then I can open my Bible and I can look to the heavens and I can say, God, you're still on the throne. And you exalt the humble, and you humble the exalted. And you will take care of all these proud, arrogant people. You've been doing it for generations, and you'll continue to. Mary understood something else. She understood that those who do not fear the Lord do not perceive their spiritual poverty. Do you perceive your spiritual poverty? Even as a Christian. Oh, now we have spiritual riches through Christ, but... In and of ourselves, we are hopeless. We are helpless sinners. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. What a paradox. So many in this world who would say they have everything are literally in spiritual poverty. 
They have no time for the Lord. They have no thought of eternity. They have no understanding of spiritual things. They are empty. The word means vain, vain. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So many people are so full of themselves, they have no room for Jesus. I hope that's not you this morning. People who keep seeking for satisfaction, and it, and it eludes them all the time. In my generation, the Rolling Stones came out with a song, Can't Get No Satisfaction. And I know it's just a song, but I've often wondered, is that an expression of their lives? If you seek the world's things and that's all you ever seek for, you will never get satisfaction. Do you know Christmas can be the emptiest time of the year for some people? They have this emptiness in their soul. They have this longing. So they fill it up with parties and gifts and celebrations and booze and drugs or whatever. And then when the party's over and the decorations are come down and life continues on, they're just as empty as they were before. Only Christ can satisfy your soul. Only knowing Jesus can give you true satisfaction. Things will never do that for you. So we've seen the, the eyes of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, and now she begins to talk about the voice of the Lord. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Do you realize we have a God who speaks? Do you understand that? The idols don't speak. I love that passage in Isaiah where he says a guy goes out and he cuts down a tree and he takes the stump and he fashions an idol out of it and then he sets it up and he burns incense to it and gives offerings to it and he prays to it. Then if he has to move, he has to pick the idol up and take it with him because the idol can't move, he can't speak, he can't respond. Our God speaks. Our God hears. Our God moves. Our God responds. So Mary is her thinker. She really is. She meditates on things. Can you imagine... All this is happening in her young life. And a couple of different times, Luke 2.19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The, the word ponder means to throw together is putting one thing with another. She's trying to work all this out. I'm bearing the Messiah who is the Son of God. What a marvel. Gabriel's message was, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary connects this back to the promise of Abraham. How remarkable is that? You see, our God is faithful, faithful. Our God keeps his promises. This is another evidence that Mary knew her Bible. She knew something of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. This is when Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, knowing that if he killed his own son, God would raise him from the dead, and it was a test for, for Abraham. And so God says, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, 
all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And the Apostle Paul in Galatians connects that right to Jesus Christ. And Mary is trying to put all this together, but the one thing she knows is God never breaks a covenant. He never breaks a promise. And his covenant with Abraham was unconditional. Even though at the point when Mary is saying these things, it's been some 2,000 years since the kingdom of, of, of Judah, time has passed rather from Abraham, the kingdom of Judah had ceased to exist for 600 years. We've seen before there had been no prophetic word in Israel for 400 years until the angel showed up in the temple and spoke to Zechariah. And yet Mary clung to these promises. You know, whenever you're feeling down or you're struggling, go into the Bible and start, start noticing all the promises of God. That's something that will cheer you. God never walks out on a promise, never, never. It's all about his timing. When the fullness of the time had come, God then sent forth his son. It was all according to God's timing. If I've learned anything over the years, it's, it's timing. We pray for things. We seek God's will. We ask him to open and close doors. And so many times it comes down to timing. And, yet, and you know what I've found out? God, God is never on my time schedule. It's amazing how that works out. He never takes counsel for me about he should be on this time schedule. God works everything out in his own time. And when he does, we discover it's the perfect time. And that's what happened with the coming of Jesus. God providentially superintended over the moments of history to come to this very perfect point of time. God looked down the corridors of time, as it were, because he's outside of time. He created time. And yet he chose this young woman in this place at this time to bear his son and to bring his son from heaven into the world as a child. Can I ask you a personal question? Can you sing Mary's song this morning? Can you sing Mary's song? Oh, I'm not saying the, the, the exact words here, but do you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe? That you and I are in such awe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the holy Jesus, would indwell me, a sinner, because I've accepted the gift of God's Son, and I'm trusting in Jesus and only Jesus, nothing more, nothing less, not adding to the gospel, not taking away from the gospel. His death, his burial, his resurrection, repenting of my sin, trusting in Jesus to be my one and only Savior, accepting God's free gift of salvation. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of you could be working and working, and if you don't accept the gift of salvation, all that work, you're going to receive a wage is called eternal death. But when you and I quit trying ourselves and we throw ourselves on the mercy of God and we confess we're a sinner and we recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for us and we call upon God to save us, there's no magic formula. It's in your heart. But you will know whenever you have trusted Jesus and the Holy Spirit will come to indwell you. Have you received the greatest gift that has ever been given? Salvation, 
through the Lord Jesus Christ.